The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox. And this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where every week for 21 years, that button that turns me on has to be pushed. And yet, after all this time, and George been, George has been doing it for eight shows a day for, tw- for 20 plus years, and then somehow it's, something still gets lost in the translation. Anyway, yay, live radio, woohoo! <laughs> this is Real Life Real Estate Investing. Um, our goal here is to be your public radio source for the information and inspiration that you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And on today's show, we have something for the person that I run into occasionally who says, I listen to your show every single week. And I say, great. How much real estate do you own? And they say, oh, none. I just like listening to stuff about real estate. You know, I don't know. I I don't know what that's all about. But many times on the program, we're talking to folks who are just like all in full time, not even real estate investors, real estate entrepreneurs, flipping houses, you know, rehabbing 150 houses a year, um, doing doing things that involve a lot of buying and selling and there's some of you out there who listen to that and you say oh my god that sounds like another whole job and I don't want another job I like my job I want to I want to keep my job but I am a little worried about what happens to me when I retire from my job and some of you listen to the show because you're trying to get some tips and hints about how you might make real estate work for you, not as a full-time thing necessarily, not as a, you know, not as a lifestyle, like I think it is for a lot of my guests, but just, just as a, as a way to assure that you don't retire broke, like some humongous percentage of Americans do. This is your program. This is, this is the show that you should archive on the podcast, listen to over and over again, because my guest today is Kai Anderson, who is a PhD, a real estate investor, a landlady, and just released a five-star rated book called, guess what, Retire on Real Estate. And her argument to you is going to be that the way that the retirement system works today, it's kind of stacked against you, and that just owning one rental or maybe two rentals can make a huge difference in whether you live a broke or a prosperous last 10, 20, 
who knows, maybe 50 years of your life. She's joining us by phone today. Kai, thank you for being on Real Life Real Estate. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Vina. Um, glad to have finally gotten connected with you here. Um, <laughs> we, uh, You actually uh, contacted me about this book, I don't even know, six months ago, eight months ago, something like that. And I read through the pre-publication version and I said, you know, there's like a million people that need to read this book, right? <laughs> who, who don't think of themselves, they don't think of themselves as real estate investors, they don't think of themselves exactly. as real estate right. entrepreneurs at all. And your book here really, really reaches out and talks to them, not to those folks who are really anxious to quit their job tomorrow <laughs> by making zillions of dollars in real estate. I'm glad you got that sense. That's definitely um, why and how I wrote the book. Uh-huh. For the everyday person. And and what was it that inspired you to do this? Um, so I was having dinner with some friends about three years ago now, and I was we were having we were just having a great time, but then suddenly we started talking about retirement. And it's like a dark cloud came over the room and it became you know, kind of bit, my friends started expressing that they were afraid they might never be able to retire without pensions. And even if they did, how would they know that they wouldn't have to go back to work or that they would have enough money to last them? It was in that moment three years ago that I realized I was like sitting on this like golden, golden chicken, so to speak, uh, because uh, with a handful of rental properties, I realized that um, retirement will never be a question for me. And, um, and, you know, once the mortgages are paid off, the goal is to pay off the mortgages. And so once those mortgages are paid off, which will be in about 7 to 15 years for all of them, um, it'll just be you know, mostly cash flow from the properties. And that's when I had this aha moment where I, I realized that I just really want to get the word out to not just my friends in my close circle, but just our whole society at large about the benefits of having even one rental property for authentic diversification. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a whole handful of properties, because I know that's not for everybody, but even just one rental property to really diversify um, uh, for many reasons, but um, to really diversify when um, you know, planning for the future mm-hmm. financially. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really fascinated me about the book is that uh, I, I, am, I am a second generation real estate investor. So my father did not have a pension. There was no, there was no, that, that has just never been a part right. of my life. But Same I, for mine, right? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, I think for a lot of people, even though they are sort of aware that the true pension where your company continues to basically pay you some part of your salary until you die. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't just not exist for, it doesn't just not exist for them. It doesn't exist for anybody anymore. There, I mean, unless you're like a government employee, there is no such thing. And, and what I found so fascinating about your book was that what, what most people think has replaced that is the 401k and it really hasn't. Exactly. In fact, the 401k, um, we, we got to the 401k as a society completely by accident, or not exactly accident, but it was a byproduct of um, this guy named Ted, Ted, Ted Benna. He invented the 401k basically in 1980, which was not that long ago, really. I mean, it's not like it's been around forever. Um, so he was working for this employee um, workforce um, company, and uh to benefit their bottom line, he convinced the IRS to tweak a 
small portion of the tax code, which was Section 401k, um, in order to help that company save on taxes and also to help their highest paid workers, their like executive level workers, um, have a way to shelter their income and save on their taxes. Um, and so uh, this happened in 1980, and then more and more as the years, as it didn't take too long, but over the next five to ten years, it was a very slippery slope, and most companies shifted um, almost like either entirely or partially to away from the pension and into the 401k. Um, and so now the 401k is the primary way that people are saving for retirement. And it's not, I'm not saying that people shouldn't do that at all. I think you definitely, we all, I should, everybody should, if it's an option, do it. Um, but be aware that we're not, it's not like a tried and true thing. It's, we actually got here by accident and it's, um, for um, some other reasons I can go into later, um, it's really important to diversify. And I believe true authentic diversification means at least one rental property. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And before we leave the topic of the 401k, uh, the the thing that, that sort of struck me that, that you made the point really well in the book, and yes, it took, it took a whole chapter to do this, so people would need to get the book to really understand this, but um, it sort of shifted the burden of creating enough income to support you from your company to you. And and the way most people use their 401k is not that they not that they have in not that they put enough money in it that it's the principal and it's the interest that's going to support you, but rather it's the principal and you slowly eat all of your principal and hope you don't live to be 120. Right. There's a lot of things wrong with the 401k by itself. Um and that's I think yeah, you touched on a few of them. Um, for one thing, like building up, uh, building up this so-called nest egg over time, and then retiring, and then chipping away at it, and then you simply hope and pray it's enough. It just doesn't seem like. I mean, logically, does it make sense? It doesn't seem like a very um, well thought out plan because it's impossible to know exactly how much you're going to need. So how can we actually really plan for um, and for that um, for that? end product, that big sum of money. Um, and secondly, it's just so hard to save. It's, it's almost impossible to get to that big sum of money that everyone um, says that we'll need um, by retirement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw a, a, an article came across on my, um, you know, that thing there, the phone pushes you articles <laughs> the other yeah. day that said that said a million dollars is no longer enough money to retire on at 75 if you're going to live to be 88. Exactly. Exactly. That's true. And th yeah, there's new research out about that. Um, and then on top of that, there's fees that um, that I didn't realize. I mean, I'm not an investment broker <laughs> or financial planner myself. I'm just a typical person who got into real estate. And then, um, but in the process of writing this book, I learned about fees, and it's something that I didn't know about, it, and I don't think most people understand. Um, and that is that fees are. They may seem small, like 1% or 2%, but 2% in fees to um, a financial planner or a mutual fund company or whatever can eat up half or even sometimes more than half of your account balance by the time you retire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So even though it seems small, like 1% or 2%, it can eat up a third to a half of your total account balance by the time you're ready to retire. So that's one of the reasons why people just aren't able to 
um, actually achieve those goals. It's not just they're bad at saving or have a lot of other priorities for their money, but it's actually the system is um, kind of rigged unless you have a really good plan. And um, there are ways to, you know, determine that that plan, um, whether your plan is a good one. Excellent. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to discuss things like how do you make a plan? How do you find out enough about real estate to uh, safely make even a a small number of investments without uh, turning your whole financial life on its ear? And we're also going to take your questions for author Kai Anderson at 877-772-9658. That's 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Kai Anderson, who is the author of the pretty new book. I mean, it's, you know, it's a couple of months old at this point. It's, you know, new-ish. It's new to you. Uh, It is called Retire on Real Estate, and it is available, by the way, at Amazon.com. And why is that important? It's important because if you... Go to wmkvfm.org. There's a Amazon.com button there on the station site. And if you buy the book through, I don't know how, how this works, but if you click on that button, it'll take you to the same site and you will buy the book. But then like, I don't know, a dollar or something comes to the station here. So um, yeah, every little bit helps in public radio. Let me let me tell you. Uh, so if you're looking for that book, um, Amazon.com, but go to wmkvfm.org and order it that way and uh, we would all greatly appreciate it here so um kai uh again you're, you're kind of an unusual guest here on real life real estate because you're not and I, i'm I'm, so, I'm saying this is a good thing not a bad thing you're not like immersed up to your eyeballs in real estate every single solitary day of the week and you seem you seem to have a way of talking to people who aren't <laughs> that some of us who <laughs> Some of us who are can't necessarily connect uh, with the, with these folks who, you know, they're never they're you, you encourage people that, hey, if nothing else, just get one. Yeah. Even if it's just moving when it's time to move, um, even if it's just keeping that house as a rental and instead of selling it, it's a decision that a lot of people toy with and they might think it's a trivial decision. I've heard many people <laughs> toying with that decision over the years. And um, it's, a, it's actually, a, I believe, it's a critical decision mm-hmm. um, because if you keep that house as a rental, pay down that mortgage over time, then once that mortgage is paid off, that's an asset that's, that's part of your financial plan. It's, it's something that will never go away unless you sell it or trade into a different type of uh, investment property. Um, but that's, that can be a vital um, piece of your plan, um, a backup plan in case things don't go exactly as you planned. Mm-hmm. Or just another piece of your cash flow later on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now we have to say to to folks who might who might be listening and thinking, oh well, that okay, great, I'll just go buy a rental property. That owning rentals is is requires a very different skill set. Let's say, let's say it that way than contributing money to a four hundred one k and then letting your company pick what stocks or mutual funds it is or even you know letting your broker pick 
options and whatnot for you. There, it, it's got much more of a hands-on right. aspect that you cannot ignore. Like, like yeah. ignoring a piece of real estate is the <laughs> fastest way to lose money on it, right? True. So, I call it active investing for passive income rather than passively invest. Passively investing for active income, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> or so, hopefully active income. So for so for uh, listeners who might be thinking, yeah, but I'm you know I'm not the I'm not the ready fire aim type. Like, what sorts of of skills and information do you think they should get before they run out and start spending money on rental properties? Um. Well, I guess the first thing is to do to educate yourself, uh, and so. I would recommend doing what I did before I got started, and that is just immerse myself in books and, um, you know, online. There's on, various online uh, resources um, and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I would suggest not getting into paid courses, courses where you have to pay a lot of money um, for seminars or coaching or boot camps, that kind of thing. I think if you're starting out, you really don't need that kind of thing. Those are really sometimes um, just a waste of money and they can also be scams. So, but I think books and online resources and free, um, oh, real estate investor clubs, of course, um, that kind of thing is a great way to educate yourself. Um, and then if you um, want to get started, uh, working with a realtor can be great. I've done it both ways, working you know, with a realtor and also just sending letters. Um, but uh, if you're new to this, then working with a realtor can be really beneficial because they do know the market and um, they can, you know, give you access to homes that are on the market and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, they can be your ally in a sense um, too. In, if, in the process. if you pick the right agent, it's a, there's. A, I always well, yes. I, <laughs> well, I always I, I always warn people that uh, ju- just as it is the case that only maybe 5% of CPAs really understand how to take the tax benefits of owning real estate. It is also the case that only about 5% of real estate agents understand all the different moving parts that go into a real estate investment as opposed to what a lot of them are really good at, which is finding you a house you love. That's a good point. Yes, you do want to (laughs) <laughs> do you want to work with somebody who's um, familiar with and experienced with uh, investment properties and also somebody who's not going to push you into buying something so that they can, you know, wipe their hands and be done with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody who's going to really take their time and um, not pressure you mm-hmm. to buy. Mm-hmm. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times that um, uh, real estate is sort of a way of providing diversification to to other things that you also recommend that people do like, you know, yes, if you have a 401k, contribute to it and let your boss contribute his part to and all that sort of stuff. And that word diversification is sort of thrown around a lot as if as if we're all supposed to understand why real estate provides right. diversification. So yeah. can, you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so diversification, in my opinion, is goes way further than just, you know, diversifying like um, between mutual funds and stocks and bonds and maybe even a REIT, which is a real estate investment trust. Um, and some people actually think that diversification might mean having multiple mutual funds, which also defeats the purpose of diversification, true diversification. Uh, I believe that authentic diversification, uh, rentals provide authentic diversification in three ways. Um, first is the time scale. So instead of 
um, building up a big chunk of money, which we affectionately call the nest egg. Um, instead of doing that, get what I call a chicken. So instead of um, so the chicken is a rental property in my um, metaphor. Um, but basically, chicken provides eggs day after day, just like rentals provide income month after month. So that's well maintained and managed. Um, so that's one thing. It's a time scale. It's like the the big. It's a stream of money instead of a big pool of money that you that you end up having to drain in the end. The second way is the earnings premise. So um, instead of so stocks and mutual funds and REITs even um, uh, are based on the premise of buying at one price, waiting and hoping, and then selling at a higher price, hopefully, um, which actually is basically like gambling. Um, it's you know it's an accepted form of gambling, but it's basically what it is uh, because you know. Winners and losers are determined at random. Um, it just depends on when you need your money. So if the market's down when you need your money, then you're not a winner. But if the market's up when you need your money, you are. So, but basically, the second way it provides diversification is this earnings premise. So again, it's the monthly income stream instead of buying at one price and waiting and selling at a higher price. And then the third way is that it provides that tangible diversification. So. It's physical. You know, you can walk into a property. You can touch it and, um, you know, feel it. You can smell it. You can, you know, you can, even if you wanted to, you could taste it. But you could definitely see it, you know, all that. Um, instead of having it all in these um, password-accessible, even password-hackable virtual accounts. So when mm-hmm. all of our stuff is locked in, um, you know, bank accounts, retirement accounts, and all that stuff is all online. So if something happens in that realm... Um, it's a certain degree of risk that we're living with. Mm-hmm. So having having that physical piece is really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is often the case, at least in my 25 years experience, that uh, the real estate market and the stock market don't move on the same cycle. I mean, this this last thing where overly abundant money caused a worldwide Right. <laughs> crash in the financial markets and depression uh, aside um many times when there's when there's one of these shorter more common recessions that we have every 7 years give or take uh mm-hmm. money flees the stock market and goes into real estate and right. and, and, and um that means that it, while your stocks are going down your real estate could be going up right they just operate on totally different um cycles um in general in terms of like uh, properties residential real estate and that kind of thing. But I do think it's interesting that the REITs, if you look, so a lot of people might be like, well, I want to invest in real estate, but I don't want to do the work. So how about a REIT? And again, I mean, REITs are a great way to diversify also, but I think that rentals are still a vital component because REITs are, again, based on the buy at one price, sell at another price. And um, and what was I going to say? The REITs, uh, well, they don't have the tax advantages. Um but also REITs don't but REITs if you look at the um like if you go to Yahoo Finance and look at the uh, stock market over the past number of years and compare that like the if you compare like um the Dow or whatever to the REITs then they actually do travel in a very similar course. Mhm. Mhm. So I think I think that's a you know interesting piece that people should consider when they're you know thinking about you know um the REIT piece. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very good. Um, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. 
my guest today is Dr. Dr. Kai Anderson, who just wrote <laughs> a, a book called Retire on Real Estate. And uh, it's available through our website here at uh, wmkbfm.org. Just look for the Amazon button, click it, and then go look up the book and buy it. We're taking your questions at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Kai Anderson, who wrote a book uh, for folks who they kind of feel like maybe they're not, I don't know, ready for or maybe... They just don't care about <laughs> becoming huge landlords with full-time holdings and all of that kind of stuff, but but that are sort of having the same thoughts that a lot of people start having when they turn about, I don't know, I think the magic age is about 45. I think that's the age when you wake up in the <laughs> middle of the night and go, holy God, I might have to work <laughs> until I'm 80 years old <laughs> based on my current retirement savings or longer or longer yes um and the full the full title of the book is actually retire on real estate building a rent really rental income for a safe and secure retirement so it really is for those of you folks who just you know you kind of want to you you want to get enough real estate that you maybe have some options after retirement um which, which you know to me is huge i mean when i think about the the earning capacity that people have when they're you know they say like 55 is the top of your earning capacity and then the earning capacity that they have when they're 75 and even if they're still working they're probably not as able to do all of the same things that they were before it is kind of scary and you got to be slowly replacing the income at work with some other kind of income and that's sort of the the topic of this whole book. Now, um, Kai, we've gotten a couple of questions at the website. Uh, okay. It's uh, which, by the way, askvina at gmail.com. If you have a question, and you want to email it in because you're still sitting at work and you don't want your boss to know that you're thinking about other things. That's fine. <laughs> askvina at gmail.com. Uh, this first question is from Brandon. He says, can you please ask her opinion for the truly part time investor of the pros and cons of singles versus multifamily rentals. Okay, sure. So the pros and cons, I guess, so you can get to your goals faster with a multifamily. Um, it's probably going to cost you a little bit more um, in terms of down payment and that kind of thing. But if you want to sort of like catapult over the, you know, um, initial stages where you're not making that much in terms of cash flow and want to like jump to multifamily if you have the means then i would say that's probably a um you know probably a good idea um it depends on the property and the location and all that of course because that all needs to be factored in and um cash flow of course but um but generally i think that going multifamily is a good idea um what we've done is we've actually created this may be interesting to some people um multifamily properties out of single-family properties. Um, and we did this to create um, some extra cash flow in properties that we already owned. Um, and so by doing this, we um, basically turned our single-family homes into house shares, kind of like dormitories, but because um, we tend to, tend to be younger people, like in their 20s and 30s maybe, um, who live in our house shares. But um, And it's a little more complicated in terms of having – 
people, um, you know, looking for personalities that get along and all that. Mm-hmm. But um, it's actually it worked out surprisingly well and really boosted the cash flow, like, a lot, like by $1,000 per house. So, um, so that's another option, too. It's sort of a middle-of-the-road that is a that is a huge boost in the, <laughs> in the cash flow. Yeah. Um, okay. So this next question is from JC in Las Vegas. He says she mentioned that her rentals are going to be paid off within the next seven to fifteen years. Is that because she's getting shorter term mortgages, or is it because she is paying them off ahead of schedule? Both. So definitely both. Um, and um, so there's definitely advantages to paying them off ahead of schedule. Um, and what we, what I do is I just actually put everything on automatic payment. So I don't have to think about mortgages ever. Um, but what I also do is have um, put an extra couple hundred dollars on most of my mortgages. So that ex- expedites the um, payoff period. Um, but I do tend to go for 15 or 20 year mortgages. Um, but if your cash flow is tight, then it's definitely not a good idea to do that. It's better to go with a 30 year mortgage and pay it down faster if you're able to. Um, because then you're not on the hook if you know things get too tight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so. and knowing whether they're going to be too tight in advance is, by the way, part of the education that folks should get before they yes. jump in. I, I seriously, I see I see a fair number of the kind of folks that your book best speaks to come through the different RIA groups, and usually the reason they show up is not to learn; it's because they've already made a mistake, and they're trying to figure out how to undo it. Right, right, right. So doing that advanced planning um, um, is really important. And yes, yes, because one of the kind of non-obvious things about owning rentals—I mean, it's not—it's obvious to those of us who own them, but <laughs> people who are looking at it for the first time—is that your cash flow is not your rent minus your principal, interest, taxes, and insurance payment. Right. There, <laughs> there are a other. Of, there's a lot of other things that go into that. There, there really are, and they're not. And and it's so easy to convince yourself that that's not so. I mean, I, I actually had a had a friend a few years back who was buying brand new houses as rentals, just built. And when I said that, wow, so <laughs> that's interesting, uh, you know, because you can't get a discount on the brand spanking new just built houses. And she said, yes, but when you look at the numbers, because I don't ha- I'm not going to have any maintenance for 15 to 20 years. It makes sense. And I said, are you going to have people living there? <laughs> because <laughs> if you are, right, was, yes. <laughs> there's going to be maintenance. Be, a lot of times those new houses actually have a lot of issues. <laughs> that, is, that is true. And the, the other thing that, that sort of um, the apartment buyers know this, people who've been trained about how to buy multifamilies know this, but uh, single family investors somehow miss it. Um, when the property does need work in, in 20 years, it's going to be new roof, new furnace, new water heater, new kitchen, new bath. It's, it's not going to be like we got to paint and carpet it. It's, it's going to be expensive stuff. And so your the rent payment that's coming in not, doesn't just have to cover the principal interest taxes, insurance, and maybe, you know, HOA fee or whatever else is, is an obvious monthly fee. But in addition to that, it has to it has to be banking money for reserves for for things that are going to become a problem at some point in the future. And if you're not doing it that way, you're going to have a bad experience. And I know your goal with teaching people how to do this is not just to make sure that they have comfortable retirements, but to make sure that the experience of owning the rentals is as stress free as possible for them. Absolutely. 
because you're you're trying to create a um, you know positive lifestyle. So if you you know collect a bunch of rentals and you have a horrible lifestyle, you haven't really achieved your perp- your your end goal. Uh huh. Uh huh. All right. So uh, this question is from Jeff, who is in Indianapolis. He says, "Does Ms. Anderson only recommend people buy rentals?" who can qualify for long-term institutional financing. So in other words, do you recommend that the people who go out and buy them be people who can qualify for like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac type loans? Um, no, I mean, there's lots of ways to get a house. And it's, if a bank is you know, saying that you don't qualify, um, I don't think that should really hold you back. Um, I do talk about um, um, borrowing. So there's like, you can buy a chicken or you can borrow a chicken. So if you really have, um, you know, terrible credit and, um, you know, not a lot of reserves, the best way to, to get started is actually to b- borrow a chicken. So that basically you build up your experience and your reserves at the same time without actually owning property. And there's a few, to, a few ways you can do that. You can just simply rent out space in your own home to start, you know, building, um, building that up. Or you can do what I call the, um, the lease sublet. So basically, and I have a lease sublet. So basically what you do is you rent out a house and, you know, it's the more bedrooms, the better. So, you know, four bedrooms um, seems to work well for me. Um, but basically you rent out a house from somebody else and then you sublet those rooms out. So again, I was talking about the house shares. So I do this in the form of a house share also. Um, so, uh, you know, if you, you know, are strapped in terms of that kind of access to um, credit and financing and all that. And that, that's definitely an option. Um, you can also work with, directly with sellers. Um, if you can arrange um, seller financing or talk to your, you know, a lot of times sellers may be your landlord if you're renting or something like that. Or maybe if you have grown kids, then they may be your kid's landlord. Somebody who you have a relationship with, you may be interested in, um, you know, working with you. So you can work out a financing deal with um, that person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different creative ways to go about doing it, but um, I don't think that you should um, necessarily say that this isn't for me if um, if I don't qualify for a traditional mortgage. Very good. We need to take one more quick break, uh, after which I'm going to give you a couple of more questions that uh, have been asked at askvina at gmail.com. We're also going to invite Listeners with any last-minute questions, to give us a call at 877-772-9658. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today, Kai Anderson, uh, author of a new book that was written for those of you who think Vina is crazy for wanting to do nothing but real estate with her whole life, but at the same time, listen to the show because you are hoping to uh, ease your retirement, or I don't know, maybe even your your current uh, situation, by just getting a couple of nice rental properties. Now, Kai, for the for the part timer, for the person who they, they just never they never want to spend all of their time on real estate. Do you have a particular? Um, let me ask this a different way. What, in your opinion, would their ideal property look like in terms of? Is it high end, low end? Is it the cheapest one they can buy, or is it in the best condition they can buy? Like, what do you, do you have any recommendations for folks who might just be for the first time going out and looking? Sure. Um, well, from my experience, a couple things here. So, 
basically, I think the two most important things when you're um, looking for a rental property is, first of all, you're getting a property that people will want to live in. So you definitely don't want to get like a dump or buy a really nice house in a really, you know, not so nice, dangerous, you know, unkept area. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, you want a house that people, decent people will want to live in. Um, and secondly, you want to have that cash flow um, figured out. So the cash flow analysis. Um, uh, so those are the two most important factors when selecting a property. Um, but then there's also other factors to keep in mind. And I basically um, go for the middle of the road. So um, if it's you know if it's too cheap or if it's too expensive, then there's issues on both ends. Um, if it's too expensive, then usually the rents do not um, commence. They're not commensurate with the mortgage and the expenses. Um, so you're really not going to typically make um, ends meet necessarily if you get like a McMansion or like a really expensive house or you know really nice house in a really nice area. Um, but also if you go for a really cheap house, one that's in a really um, rundown area. Uh, again, a place that people don't want to live. Um, you're not going to be able to charge much rent. So if you have, if you're charging very low rent, then your rents are not going to be able to keep up with the um, repairs. So if you have these what we call capex, so capital expenses, um, such as like an air conditioner going out or um, a roof or something big like that, then the rents in a really low rent house are not going to be able to keep up with that. Whereas if you have something that's more um, middle of the road, what a lot of people call bread and butter homes. Um, those uh, are really kind of like your sweet spot in terms of having the cash flow work out um, nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's basically it. There's, those, mm-hmm. are the, those are the things I would um, recommend mm-hmm. from my own experience. So how about the idea of combining the retirement accounts that we were talking about earlier might not be the only thing that you need and real estate. There's there's a number of ways that folks who have access to different kinds of retirement accounts might actually be able to use the accounts right. to buy real estate. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, and I've used my own retirement accounts in some of these ways also. Um, and there's a few ways. So one is um, your more um, experienced investors have probably heard of the self-directed IRAs. Um, you can also do this with a solo 401k um, where you actually – buy real estate with your IRA or self-directed solo 401k funds. Um, and that's, that becomes its own little retirement account. Um, the, the rents come in and out of that account. I mean, go into that account. The expenses come out of that account. And it's its own entity. Um, there's another way to do this, which, which I've done um, twice, which is borrowing off of my 401k through work. So um, if you have you know, a little bit of a balance in your 401k, you can actually borrow up to $50,000 um, and you can borrow it for any reason. Now, I don't recommend buying it for any reason, borrowing it for any reason at all. Um, like don't use it for a wedding or for like a new car or new furniture or anything like that. It's, I really think it's important to only use this. If you're going to borrow from your 401k, use it for an investment property, um, an asset that will be paying you back over time as you pay it off. Um, and there's a few benefits to this borrowing from your 401k thing. First of all, you're not penalized because it's not, you're just borrowing. So it's, it's not like um, cashing out early. It's a different thing. Um, but also, you're going to be paying interest. It's a very low interest rate. And believe it or not, the interest goes right back to yourself. So you're not 
paying interest to a bank or anyone else. It actually goes to yourself. Um, but it can be pretty high. It has to be paid back in five years. So the the um, your payment can be pretty high. So that definitely has to be factored in, factored in um, when you um, are considering this mm-hmm. um, type of strategy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So again, got to get the property that's going to cover <laughs> the payment, even if exactly. the payment is to you. Uh, so I, my opinion is the reason a lot of people who think the thought maybe 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 we should get a rental property because maybe that would help us with our retirement then do not do it is because they think it's really a lot of work right yes i've definitely encountered that sentiment for many people (laughs) um it's definitely you know hinders a lot of people from um getting involved and um, you know, maybe it's not for everybody. Um, I have to just say that up front because, you know, some people just just may not really want to deal with it. Um, but however, if you want to have the benefits but not the work, then there's always the um, option of using a property manager. Um, and so but you need to, like, select a property manager carefully so it's somebody you trust and, um, you know, comes recommended from others, basically. Um, but But property management is a good option if you want to have the benefits without the work. Mm-hmm. Although, Another... although <laughs> build, build in that fee. <laughs> because yes, you got to build in the fee. Yep. It's, it's not. It's got to be part of the cash flow analysis. Right. And it's um, not, and it's not just the, 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 the fee is not just what it appears. It's not, you know, mo- most property managers, at least in our area on a single family home, want 10% of the gross rents for their management fee. So right. plus a, the first month's rent. Um, for locating a tenant right right plus they get plus they get paid that plus if they're dealing with management like like a maintenance they oftentimes will either charge an override on that or will they have a maybe a flat fee per hour that is is more than you would pay if you're paying for convenience it's more than you would pay that guy to come do that work if you were just finding him yourself so right. I usually I usually tell people that if the management fee is ten percent, figure it's actually going to cost you about twelve and a half to fifteen percent averaged over time of your gross rents to have that property manager, mm-hmm. which which is one hundred percent worth it. If you get impatient with people, if you don't have time to go fix things when they break, because if you don't fix them, the tenants move and then your cash flow goes away. You know, right. I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not worth it. I'm just saying get the numbers right. Absolutely. And and interview with these different property managers before you select one, because all the, the fees are very, um, they vary. They vary um, substantially between different um, companies or individuals. Um, and a lot of times they are negotiable. So think about that before you sign a contract as well. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. Now, Kai, we are down to literally two minutes. I know the, the everyone always says that hour goes so fast. <laughs> what is the one uh, you sent me? You sent me eighteen questions. We got through less than half of them. What is what is the one you really, really, really wish I'd asked that I didn't? Um. I have no idea, but I um, maybe the one of what what does your um, landlord not want you to know? Yeah, okay, that's a good one. What's the big secret <laughs> that landlords have that they don't want their tenants to know? And it's basically that um, the tenants are their retirement plan. The tenants are basically paying for their retirement plan because with each monthly payment, you're that much closer to having a um, 
you know, having your mortgage paid off and achieving the ultimate goal of, um, of a free and clear mortgage so that you can enjoy the cash flow from that property. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. So tenants, thank you for funding my retirement plan. Exactly. <laughs> and, and you might want to consider going out and getting your own retirement plan in the form of a rental house. If you'd like to read the whole book with all of that, she literally has laid out, here's what you should do if you want to be a level one person. Here's what you should do to get to level two. It's really it's really step by step in the book, Retire on Real Estate. Go to wmkvfm.org. Click the Amazon.com button, and this is how I did it. I just looked up Kai Anderson, and the book came up first. It's K-A-I Anderson. And uh, Kai, we appreciate you being with us today. It's been really fun. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for uh, writing the book and sharing your ideas with uh, those of us who need to be really worried about retirement. Uh, We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then... Happy investing.